0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast. We interview the top nonprofit fundraisers and marketers in order to provide you with practical insights for increasing generosity. You can learn more by going to VirtuousCRM.com. And now, let's turn it over to our host.
1: Hey, everybody. It's my joy today to have John Burgess um, talking with us. John is a good friend. Uh, he's a former JAG in the Air Force, uh, Air Force lawyer, which is an amazing start for most uh, nonprofit fundraising people. Um, John worked for a while in the marketing department at Apple, which is, is another just great background point for somebody in his position. Uh, he served as marketing director at Compassion International for a while, did some really cool stuff. And he's currently the chief publishing officer at David C. Cook. So, John, thanks so much for
0: joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Gabe. Absolutely.
1: Um, so, <laughs> given your background, which is just amazing, Jack, the Apple, the Compassion, the Chief Publishing Officer, you've had a crazy uh, journey. So, give us a little background on how the heck you ended up um, going from Jack to nonprofit leader and then how you ended up at Cook. The-
0: Yeah, I I wish I could tell you, Gabe, that it was part of my 10, 20-year plan. But if I'm being honest, I didn't have one. What I wanted, um, as I look back, I realize what's really driving me is just opportunities where I can make unique unique impact in places that I really care about. And so I I continue to be an Air Force Reserve officer because I just really enjoy the mission and and I, I like contributing to it. And then as I moved on from, from Apple, and you know, the time that I was at Apple it was really the time when Steve Jobs said we are 90 days away from just closing this thing down. Not many wow. people remember that there was a time like that. And I stayed at Apple through about the second iPhone. So it was really just this incredible opportunity to see one of the biggest uh, comeback stories in American history, in the history of the world, really, uh, and to see what Apple was turning into. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it I absolutely uh, uh, thought it was uh, uh, kind of the, the place uh, that makes careers um, and then yeah. when uh, towards the end of my time at Apple I really felt like also it was time to leave Apple and it was time to press in in the nonprofit space in some way
1: now oh, that's great yeah that's uh, that's Incredible. I, the stories from Apple at that time are, are legendary, obviously. So, getting to be there and be a part of it are, are just crazy. So, Apple and then Compassion, and now to David C. Cook. And so, uh, how did that come about? You just kind of flipping through the one ad and then Compassion <laughs> better, kind of how we do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I kind of identified uh, three or four nonprofits that I just thought were doing great work. And it's not that there aren't a lot more out there. There certainly are. It's just that these were the ones that bubbled onto my radar. Compassion was one of them. And I really didn't know anybody at Compassion. I just got to be really intrigued by the fact that, uh, you know, people that know Compassion understand the the, the main uh, product, if you want to call it that, is a child sponsorship product. So you sponsor a child for uh, roughly $36 a month. Um, and 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 then you provide some benefit to that child in the form of, of, you know, prayer and letters and just just really affirm them. But what I was really intrigued by Compassion was they approached it a little bit the way that Apple did, you know, and when I was at Apple, I worked in the education division and we had people on staff that that really didn't focus on Apple products so much as what it meant to be a leader in education. Where was education going? What are the thought leaders saying about that? And it really, it really uh, uh, made a huge impact in how Apple could approach partners and customers and that sort of thing. I really appreciated that about Compassion because Compassion is absolutely an expert in child development. Uh, and one of the ways that they attack that is through their sponsorship program.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that about Compassion. So um, there's, there's a bunch of really cool stuff you're you're doing a cook right now that i really want to get into but before i do that um kind of open the door there for talking about a little bit about um, education and innovation at compassion and one of the things that i I got to see you do there um up close and personal was kind of your um, immersive experience that you did for having people experience what it was like to be a part um, of a child's life in one of your programs so kind of walk me through um and, and for our our listeners that have seen it and been a part of it they know that it's amazing but for for those that haven't even describe a little bit about what it is and sort of the creative uses that went into that program
0: yeah sure sure and you know gabe you're being very humble because certainly i have uh, the utmost respect for you for the team at virtuous for the team at brushfire that worked alongside us in doing something that was truly remarkable Um, really the only thing that makes me suspect your capabilities, is the fact that you would have me on this podcast. So I'm sure that the the rest of your lineup, rest of your lineup for the rest of the year will be much more impressive. Yeah, <laughs> but we, yeah, yeah. I, I got the, I got the compassion, and and one of the things that, that they said was, uh, and this first part is not, not really rocket science, right? They said that we know when people go overseas, and they see children living in poverty, they're changed. And I think that that's absolutely true. It's part of how we're built as humans. You just can't see that and then come back to the United States and sort of go to a Starbucks and Bath and Body and you know do the things that you normally do. There's something that goes on in your heart. And we also knew that that there were really two reasons why people didn't go overseas for that experience, and one is finances. It can be expensive, that kind of a trip. And the second one is fear. There's just some people that will not leave. Uh, the, the West to go to the developing world, and uh, that's not a judgment; it's just a fact. And so, it had been knocking around compassion for a while, probably about nine years. Of what does it mean to bring the experience that people get overseas, uh, you know, to your local church, to your local university, some place that is more accessible? So that's really what was the impetus, what kind of got us started. Oh,
1: that's great. And then describe even the, what it was like. The um, experience was like so, you know, big eighteen-wheeler transformer truck. Like the thing was outrageous in terms of of what a typical nonprofit would would reach for. But talk a little bit about the actual experience.
0: Yeah, it was. And you know, thanks for asking. Uh, you know, we really were just blessed with the right people at the right time who could really see this vision. And the vision was. Uh, after going through several different models, including kind of a Disney approach where you'd sit in a bus and instead of a window, there'd be a high-definition uh, screen and it would, it would show as you drove by kind of the story of children living in poverty. But we really what we landed on was these two 18-wheelers that would pull up into a church parking lot and unpack into 3,500 square feet of poverty. And uh, what drove it home and what was really successful uh, in the end was that we would feature actual stories of actual children, the pluses and the minuses. This wasn't sort of the, the best that Compassion Marketing could put together. This was the actual kids. And we partnered with this group um, in Hollywood that was able to set it up like a movie set with that level of authenticity. They were able to have uh, the voice speaking through your ears Uh, be the voice of a child that that was that age telling the story. And as you walk through, you were just absolutely immersed in this child's world. In fact, one of the most stressful times I've ever had in my professional life was when a group of uh, Ugandan uh, kids, they were uh, between 18 and 21, who were graduates of the Compassion Program, came to the original Compassion experience to walk on the track that featured a girl from Uganda. And boy, wow. we were really sweating it, yeah. We were really thinking, you know, was the poster of the president the right poster at the time? Did we, did we fairly and accurately uh, show people what poverty looks like without, you know, but also doing it in a respectful way, you know? There's, compassion is very big, and I think rightly so, about uh, maintaining dignity uh, through this sort of thing. And we were really sweating beads. And I have to tell you, they came out of that track. Uh, some of them in tears, some of them uh, with just so proud that they could be part of an organization that represented it that well. And certainly, we saw some analytics on the on the backside of that that were very pleasing as well.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. I love that story. I love kind of dope, big swing for the of stories in the in the nonprofit space. And that, that's one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. Um, so let, let's jump over to Cook for a minute. Uh, uh, so I, you don't have to say this, I will. The, um, the publishing industry is going through transition. So you're a, a faith-based a Christian publisher that um, has been around for a little while, and so I'm sure they're facing the exact same thing that other publishers are facing. You're also at a, at a publisher who happens to be a nonprofit and who raises money for a lot of their initiatives which has a whole other set of challenges being at a big traditional fundraising nonprofit. And so um, you're walking into two segments that aren't historically known for creativity and innovation. And one of your biggest things has been um, taking, uh, honestly, I know a lot of the folks at cook, they're an amazing, talented, bright team, but injecting innovation and creativity um, in a way that really pushes them forward into the next 50 years. And so I'd, I'd love for you to just Talk about what that's been like, um, what the, sort of the, the catalyst for you creating, that that creative team culture there, uh, and leveraging your existing team to do that. So, um, and I'll just kind of let you yeah. go at it.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, that's very kind, and I, I thank you for the uh, nice introduction there. I will go ahead and say it, that in generally publishing is what our CEO calls is on a toboggan slide down the slope, right? I mean, if you... <laughs> If you look at, if you look at uh, book sales and curriculum sales over the last 10 years, there was this little blip where we thought ebooks was going to take over the world that turned out to not be true. But generally, at Cook, at, as a nonprofit ministry, what we've been doing for about 140 years is equipping the church with content. And then, to the extent that we can make a, a bit of a profit off that content, we use it to uh, equip churches in the developing world. Uh, with a much different financial model, as I'm, I'm sure you can imagine. And so right now we have about yep. 8 million children uh, worldwide that are using, uh, in, in cooperation with the local church, that, that their local content that's sourced locally, meaning it's not uh, you know a bunch of folks on my team in Colorado Springs that are making up the stuff that uh, Ugandan children are reading. We go alongside the Ugandans and, and we create it locally. It's super important for us. But really, I think what your question is getting at is what am I doing at Cook? And uh, there's really two lines if you look at a chart. One line towards the bottom, which is slowly declining on the right-hand side and has been for some time, is the amount of people that are getting uh, impacted by traditional publishing worldwide that's generally going down. About 25% of Americans will not read one single book this year. Mostly, uh, you know, if you look at any sort of app usage statistics, it's not long-form reading. People generally aren't reading long-form books on their Kindles or their iPads. It's just uh, not, not happening the way we thought it was going to. The other line is a line at the top of that. And for a faith-based nonprofit like us, we look at our addressable market as generally people that I self-identify themselves as Christians. That's the market that we're mostly interested in. And generally, that line is going up. So when you look at the, the difference between those two lines, uh, the message is we're leaching fewer people with less relevant products in a less <laughs> remarkable way all the time. <laughs> That's encouraging. <laughs> yeah, right. So you're going to – so, you know, normally the question is, well, how are we possibly going to tackle that? But I, I like to paint that picture because to me it's about impact, right? It's about – courage at this point and, and taking understandable smart risks, knowing that those two lines are diverging more and more every day. And, and now's the time. Now's the time to lean in uh, and jump in with both feet and, and make a go at it. Because if the worst happens and, and nothing works, those lines are still diverging, right? And you never know what you can come up with. I, I love that kind of urgency around the passion of reaching people. Um, So I'd like to point out, since we're on your podcast, that this, uh, with our Life on Life product that we feature around the world, that we develop uh, in concert with the local people, it really features three things in that product. One is spiritual development. The second is character development. And the third is life skills. And so in one village in Uganda, the life skill may be washing your hands, why that's important. Uh, and just down the road, the life skill may be debunking myths about, uh, uh, about certain activities that people think can, per- can uh, keep you from getting AIDS and what that means to a family dynamic. And so we use that because it's important to the local folks, but we also wrap it into lessons on what does a healthy marriage look like and how do you develop great kids? And it's a, it's a, it's a good way to broach those topics as well.
1: It's great. No, I love that. So uh, the the product side is is incredibly interesting, especially how you guys push out content in the developing world, where you, I, I would argue that there's even sort of more complexity if you're talking about you know a mix of faiths and um, uh, changes in the publishing industry and long form content. You know, pushing out interesting stuff in Uganda, there's a whole another set of variables. But I, so with all of that, with uh you know. Um, a relatively bleak outlook from some perspectives and a very dynamic daily changing space. What have you done specifically on your team to kind of get them thinking creatively, creatively and out of the box? You said now is the time for change. So what are you doing in your team to kind of get breaking them as a mold of what always been done and having them learn to take risks and be creative?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think this has been, uh, this has been really important and, and in some ways, kind of hard for Cook as well, because uh, we are really good at publishing. And we understand that. It's just that culture and the world is changing around us. And so I really try to focus my team on three things. And the first one is really clear focus on what it is, the impact that we think that we're going to make. Really understand what that is. You know, I think a lot of times nonprofits get into this, a mentality of changing the world, and that part I think is good. But without focus, this idea of changing the entire world all at one time, and you end up just spreading resources. You know, I always say the peanut butter is super thin on the toast so that you can't even taste it. Yep. Well, we want to glomp our peanut butter in one place so it makes a sense. So we really work hard on focus. The second thing that I think is absolutely crucial, and most nonprofits should struggle with this as well, is creating a culture where it's okay to fail. So, what we say, (laughs) what we say in American business, not just nonprofits, is we say, we want you to be innovative, but we want all of your ideas to work. And what happens is you create this mentality of, uh, mediocrity, because the only ideas that really see the the life of day are those ideas where everybody can agree that there's some value there, and that is that's just the road to to sort of uh, uh, creating only those things uh, that everybody agrees on right out of the gate, and they're they're over time and time again not the great ideas, it's not the stuff you should be focusing on. So if your company, your business, your nonprofit has the ability to have a fail uh, okay culture, um, then that's that's a huge step in the right direction. And so we work on things around here, like we spun up an innovation lab. It's not a meeting room that's called innovation lab. This is one where we use sort of best practices on brainstorming, uh, best practices on idea generation. And we put our folks through there and we invite customers to participate. But when you come out of those labs, we like to reward people whose ideas don't see the light of day. We like to give them the gift cards and give them the notoriety and say, look, it's the process that's as important as anything else, not the fact that you came up with the winning idea. We'll get to the winning ideas, but we want to reward you for coming in and, and doing things the right way. So we're working really hard on that. I can't say that we're all the way there, but I think we're taking some steps that really haven't been seen in the publishing industry before. The last thing that I would say is we do need to remember the lessons of Apple and Netflix and like companies, and whether we like it or not, we're living in this age where customer expectations are ramped up really high because of the work that some of these companies are doing, and so immersive experiences like the Compassion Experience are backed by uh, by uh, incredible technology that are. Um, Simple to the end user, but complex on the back end. And all of that wraps up to surprise and delight for your customer, no matter what that is. And I'm not telling you it has to be technology-based, but I firmly believe that at the end of the day, if you're not surprising and delighting your customer to create loyalty, you're going to lose them because these expectations have been set by other companies and other industries. It's just that we're saddled with living up to them right now. So let me pause and see if Gabe just left the room to go get a cup of coffee, or if he's still
1: here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a few things in there. Number one, that last thing is, man, it's it's like you're beating our drum, but that's something that we talk about um, so often. The, the thing that I want to really hit on though is uh, sort of um, agile development and and failing fast. And so. Uh, we um, we talk a lot about even using sort of startup practices uh, within a nonprofit. So even agile software development and doing sprint planning and um, releasing a minimum viable product uh, so that um, uh, you can get validation uh, from uh, donors or on the program side, whoever you're serving, and then begin to iterate on that. Um, everything about the agile software development process assumes that you're going to fail. In fact, most great companies now from the startup phase that are trying to create growth create through failure. They learn through failure and then they iterate to get better. And, and I would argue that that culture is almost entirely lost in most nonprofits. So, man, that's yeah. it's so good to hear you guys are doing that. And if, um, and if you know, I would say that if there's anything in here that you guys can take away or that our listeners can take away at that piece is that it, it, embrace failure, you know, learn quickly. Um, yeah. you know, failure is not failed and so um, what we're going to do is we're going to iterate uh, and get better the, the other part there um, is man that, that is the second part really was just out of our playbook was you know the Googles and the Facebooks and the HubSpots or the whoever of the world have created a world where people have beautiful delightful brand experiences that are completely and totally personalized to them and yet we're living in a world where nonprofits don't delight and surprise and they don't they don't create personalized experiences. It's all one to many broadcast style nineteen eighties um, approach, which is just the chasm's growing wider and wider between the two. And so I think a lot of nonprofits, whether they could like it or not, are facing these existential prices where their donors expect one thing because they're getting it from every other brand and then they can't deliver. And so um, That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'm that's not right. seeing what you said, but my gosh, that's that's sort of exactly what we preach every day. And, and as soon as you can get it, it's, uh, it's game changing.
0: Yeah, well, I'll, um, I'll carry that drum with you virtuous guys. And I just want to say that <laughs> I get that in the nonprofit space, it's hard to look at donors and board members and say, we spent $100 on something that we weren't sure was going to fail, but we thought it kind of would. I, I yep. get that it's hard <laughs> to look at donors and, and say that. So you do have to work on, on, on how you're going to present that. So that's a detriment. The benefit that we get in the nonprofit space is you really are trying to do something that changes the world. And so while people have these higher expectations and you should absolutely drive to meet those expectations, there's a little bit of grace out there for knowing that you're a nonprofit. It doesn't mean that you can fall far, fall sh- far short all the time. But if you yep. fall a little bit short and you continue to improve, the market's going to be okay with that. But not yeah. with not with a wholesale a wholesale miss. Yeah, you know what's great too. I think is that um, as turning into more of a conversation than a
1: podcast at this point. But uh, um, especially with younger donors, they appreciate transparency so much. And the the way you actually demonstrate transparency is being transparent with your failures. Being transparent with everything you did right is not transparency. And so it's unbelievable when you say, man, we tried this now as a train wreck, that, that you become so much more believable at that point because they know not everybody's perfect. So at the point where you're even yeah. honestly with your donors, hey, we're giving this our best shot. At best, on a good day, we're working 80% of the time, sometimes less, and that's just reality. And I think especially younger donors resonate with that because they, just, they know it's
0: true. Yeah, yeah, and you know what, there's a great, this is a different podcast, but there's a great social play you validating your social marketing through that kind of stuff. People really need to do yeah. that. And, and the bottom line is it, for me is I just don't know how to solve world changing problems without creativity and innovation. And I don't think anybody's going to get there without it. People will appreciate yep. that drive. Yep.
1: That's right. No, I love that. Um, okay. Uh, um, so let's say uh, I'm a nonprofit leader out there. Um, somebody listening to this podcast and I think, man, I want that kind of creativity and innovation coming from my team. What are some tips that you can give somebody? I know this innovation lab has been a big deal for you guys, but but what are other tips that you can give somebody trying to start a good, creative team?
0: Yeah, well, certainly you need to hire or create the right kind of people, right? And And a lot of this for me was just change management. And there's, a million great tips on change management that I won't go through on this podcast, but you need, you need to prep people with this vision that we really are going to tackle this and the right kind of folks are going to be those creatives that can think about this in a new way. And then honestly, Gabe, I go back to really focus them in on exactly what it is, the problem you want to tackle. It can't be enough to say, you know, we're going to solve water in the world. It has to be, we're going to do it this way and in this place, and by this time. So really focus on, make sure that you reward people for failing, um, and there's a, there's a, uh, there's a great um, uh, TED talk, I think, on celebrating failure, and you, you really need to make that not, the first time that you say we're gonna have a fail-safe culture because you, know, because you read a book, and you don't reward the failures, You'll, you'll never get there with the existing team because they'll just see straight through it. And, and honestly, everybody's been told forever, I want you to innovate. I just don't want you to ever not succeed with your innovations. And so we already talked about that. And then just remember those, the, you know, the Apple Netflix lessons, which is there really is no detail that's not worth sweating. You got to sweat it all.
1: Yeah, oh, that's great. Uh, I love that. And, and I think even just implementing, you know, rewarding failure, some of those are reinforcing the culture because you do, you walk into organizations and the team's been doing it the same old way for the last 20 years. Um, and so you, you have to do some pretty great things in order to break some of those cultural norms. You um, do. Yeah. So let me, let's do this. Cause uh, I want to, I don't want to keep you on here all day. You got the world to change out ahead of you so um uh, we usually at the end of this thing do a bit of a lining around and ask you just a couple quick questions to finish out our time together because i would think it's, it's fun to see how people answer these so uh first question is what's the book um that you've read this year or i'll give you maybe the last two years that's had the greatest impact on you
0: yeah well i'll give you two uh, i'll start with the road to character by david brooks fantastic book. And I, I cannot recommend it enough to, to everybody. It's not a leader focused book. It's for everybody. The Road to Character by David Brooks. And he talks a about the kind of, he really is, he really is. I appreciate his writing, uh, no matter where it is. And, but this is really a seminal book. This is a book that will um, change the way that you look at your life. And honestly, if you're a nonprofit, this is the kind of, this is the kind of language that I think we need to be talking Talking about as a as just your peer in, in the nonprofit world these are the kind of things that our donors should be talking about the kind of things our employees should be pointing at so I actually got it in uh, here at, uh, at cook of course we don't publish that book <laughs> so I got it in and I'm having my entire team read it on their own I think it's that important uh, and great. the second is um, I just enjoy a little bit more closer to uh, faith-based nonprofit work. I enjoy basically anything that John Ortberg has written. Uh, his last book, um, which actually we don't publish at all. I should probably have thought of some books we do. but um, <laughs> I, you know, honestly we're trying to give you appreciate this. I, to a publisher, every solution is a book, right? <laughs> yeah. So I keep telling my team, don't start with the book, start with the message the, the thing that's on people's hearts that they think w- people need to hear that will change the world. And if we get the book, I'm fine, but take me through every conceivable possible vehicle to communicate that before we get the book. So uh, that's my free aside. That's, that's the bonus item for this podcast, right? You always give one bonus. item. <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, so Brilliant. his last book is uh, I would like you more if you were more like me by John Orpik. I would like you more if you were more like me. Good read.
1: That's great. Yeah. And John Howard was great. He's so, so readable, so entertaining, so insightful. So that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, next one, uh, podcasts, you got any podcasts you're looking to? If, if, uh, if podcasts are on your thing, you can always go to, to some cool streaming TV show or something you're listening to, but do you have any <laughs> podcasts you really like?
0: Well, other than the Virtuous podcast, which clearly I'm a huge <laughs> fan of now. Right. Absolutely. I like that one yeah. very much uh, I go to I, I have a couple podcasts that I listen to but not regularly enough to recommend them to you or anybody who's listening to this which is probably at this point just my mother and my wife and my two daughters so yes <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a pass that's on right. that would <laughs> that's, that's great
1: um, and then uh, kind of personal habits you got a lot going on you got, you got a family you have military responsibilities you're running um, publishing uh, at a large nonprofit—it's a lot to take on. So, what are kind of your your personal patterns? Journaling, writing, exercise, diet, sleep—you know, CrossFit, jumping jacks at two in the morning. What do you do <laughs> to think? Sure, sure.
0: Uh, well, that's uh, nice of you to ask. I um, so uh, because I'm a military reservist, I get a military physical training test every year. It's the same one—the active duty runs. And so wow. I work out scared because <laughs> I don't want to be the out of shape reservist that's showing up for duty. So I, I maintain a pretty strict workout regimen um, so that I don't have to worry about that. And it's really the way that I deal with stress. And I, and I just have to tell you, you know, as a leader, uh, uh, the first thing I say to all my folks is I say, if you think about the entire world, no matter where you were born, what your religion is, what your job is, what kind of family you have, no matter what, no matter who that person is, on their deathbed, they never say, ever, I wish that I would have worked more and later on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays when I was in my place. They never say that. And I think, because I work at a faith-based nonprofit that God is trying to tell us something, but even if you don't work at a faith-based nonprofit, I think you can look at humanity and say, If that's never said, then we need to be really, really particular as leaders into how we're reinforcing that. And unfortunately, in nonprofits, we're really bad at that in general because we are trying to save the world and we're trying to do it with as little money as possible. And now, you know, Sean Burgess and Gabe have told you that there's high standards because customers... So there's all this pressure. But at the end of the day, I make sure that people are taking their vacation. And if they're not, I, we have a discussion about that, where they take it. Because I don't want to be the kind of guy that whether or not we can figure this out for Cook uh, in 10 or 15 or 20 years has caused people to give up that valuable time in their life. So um, my, you know, I'm not saying anything that's new to anybody who's listening to this. But if I can be a reminder that says, like take it really seriously where, you're, where you prioritize your life, make sure you're living yeah. that out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's I love that. Yeah. And sort of you know, you want to change the world, but the most important world that you can change and you have care over is your friends and family and and yourself. And so if you can't steward those right to begin with, then the rest of it's sort of irrelevant. know, yeah. so I I love that. Um Well, hey, that is it. That's the last question I had for you. Thank you so much for coming on today. It was a joy. I love hearing you talk about sort of the creativity that you brought to these organizations. It's so much fun. So we appreciate it. And you'll have to come back again sometime.
0: All right. Thank you, Gabe. It's an honor. To learn more or to subscribe to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser podcast, visit VirtuousCRM.com.